Welcome to the NCLA podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mann, and today we have the honor of having Dave Cornelius, the founder of Milestone C, join us to talk about the future of work, the future of education, and what that looks like. Be sure to expand upon the details of this podcast to learn more about him and to be able to connect with him and to learn about his many, many offerings that he has both for in-school products as well as after-school products, summer camps, things that can really transform your CTE program. His career was cross-disciplinary in electrical, pneumatics, hydraulic systems, design and manufacturing, and he is able to support so many aspects of what's happening in CTE. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thanks so much, Rachel. Well, I'm excited about this conversation because there's so much happening in technology and STEM and especially in the area of AI. And I want to first learn a little bit more about how you got into your current role, but then really dive into why this is such a critical point in education. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming the founder of Milestone C? Yeah, not a problem. So um, I I have, a, I have a super interesting background where I was never, um, I'm never really qualified for what I'm doing. So to, to explain that a little bit, um, I was a math and economics major in college. I somehow got an engineering job um, in industry. I then was in engineering for about 10 years. Um, and then I was a little bit, and I worked at some large corporations and then some small companies, um, bounced around the engineering discipline, um, really didn't get good at one particular type, but was very good at um, project management and seeing the bigger picture and and pushing projects forward. So working with my team to push projects forward. Um, and then I, I was kind of bored of my corporate engineering job and started teaching after school um, with racing drones, a hobby of mine. So what I found was I was teaching the kids like they were interns, um, which is what I knew how to do. I knew how to teach young folks and I always enjoyed that part of my job, kind of grooming people up and teaching them what they needed to know when they were coming in, whether a new employer or an intern. And what I found was schools were very hungry for that. Um, they had words like project-based learning. They had words like career-connected learning. Um, national, the uh, NGSS, uh, ISTE were all had their own terms for this, but essentially I would call it on-the-job on training. Um, so when we looked at that and we were teaching after school and in the summer, uh, just sort of a, you know, kind of a part-time thing, we then saw the need for that in the classroom and the schools we were working with were asking for that. So we started to transition Milestone C into a curriculum uh, PD for teachers um, and then equipment and software and support for those teachers. So kind of that full package for that high school or middle school classroom. And the reason we did that is we know we saw the need for kids to learn this. Um, for students to be successful, they need to learn these different tech topics uh, because it runs our world. And us teaching it is great, but, you know, there's only four of us. There's only two of us. Uh, at the time, there was only two of us. And even if I grew my team, I can't reach everybody. So we transitioned to really helping schools do this, helping teachers do this to reach more students. That is fascinating. And it's interesting to hear you talk about moving from industry into education and the many assumptions that in the education world, people think that uh, that folks understand their terms, and especially in CTE, because we have so many teachers that are coming from an industry background into education. And so I'm sure that's very rela relatable to many of the folks in our audience. 
And Dave, I know one of the areas that your company works in is artificial intelligence. And we've seen a lot of things happening on around AI, uh, one of them being schools banning certain forms of AI because it hit the media very quickly that there's this tool called Chat GPT that can basically write papers for students and not just a paper, but a really good paper and do all of these things. And it, it was kind of scary for educators. And your website, you talk about how our world is driven by artificial intelligence. People don't realize that, uh, how much of what we do, that artificial intelligence has already been happening, but it's just becoming more visible and a little scary sometimes when people think about their traditional way of approaching education and how this is threatening to what they're doing to their work. And you also talk about on the website how it how AI influences the way we communicate, socialize and make decisions and the transformation that is happening in every industry is unseen since the invention of electricity or the internet. How do we prepare students for success in this new world, and especially in the area of AI? Oh, the, the, the magic question. So how do, you, how do you do what a school's mission is, which is make a well-rounded, prepared student um, for this, this new world? So the subject of CTE in particular has a challenge because it covers a lot. So you have kind of, I would call them the old school. So your, your wood fabrication, metal fabrication, um, kind of your older technologies, which can't go away, that it's still fundamental, fundamental to our world. And then CTE is having to grow and cover something like robotics, drones, um, ag science, uh, and, and now, of course, AI is coming into that mix, along with all the software and coding. So at Milestone C, what we do is we look at all the new technologies and we try to um, understand them, digest them from industry and break that down and bring it to that 10th, 11th grader um, through their schools and train their teachers in it. And because it's all new, None of those teachers went to college for this. None of those teachers even were in, in industry for this unless they came out like last year. So it's a very interesting uh, paradigm where the we have to teach this to the students because the world runs on it. And we've all all of us adults have been learning it all along. But there isn't a curriculum built around it because and we don't have a full background in it because it's a new technology. So it's an interesting problem. Now, to answer your question specifically, um, my, my take on this is, um, we need to prepare the students by letting them use the tools that they have in front of them. So if we look at cell phones, um, you go back 10 years ago, uh, five years ago, schools didn't like the kids having their cell phones. The cell phones are a distraction. The cell phones are bad. The cell phones are, you know, they're preventing education. And then in the last three, four, five years, schools have started to realize, no, that's a tool. We need to teach them to use it properly. Um, now, if, if you look at the timeline I just mentioned, it's five years, 10 years, even 15 years for some of this tech to mature and, and really infiltrate society. Um, the challenge with AI is that one's a little different. Uh, it comes on really fast. So the recent release of, uh, we're, we're sitting here in January, 2023, ChatGPT was just unleashed on the world, um, or at least a version of it. There'll be better versions in the future. So the current version is pretty good at some stuff. It writes codes. It, it writes code. It writes papers. It answers questions um, very much like Google does, where Google kind of tries to guess at what you're asking. 
but in a much smarter way, like almost like you have a, you're meeting with a person about it. They're digesting it and then giving and then taking 20 sources and putting them together. So if this chat GPT, it really is this good, which I played with it. I think it's pretty scary effective. Um, now what is the question? And the answer is if I'm an undergrad student, I don't really have to do the homework and read those three books and then put a paper, write a paper that brings them together. I can tell the AI to do that. So when you have that kind of thing happen in college or in high school, I don't have to read that book. I can just tell ChatGPT to summarize chapter three. Um, that's a really tough thing when the students still need to learn the mental processes that go into that but they now have a tool that can do that work for them. And we have these tools around us, everything from 3D modeling to robotics. These are all tools that help us do what we wanna do faster, which is what ChatGPT is. But how do you still learn the fundamentals? How do you still get to that spot where you can wield that tool properly? So if you give a software engineer that's 30 years into, into their profession, ChatGPT, they can do some really powerful stuff really quickly. Um, but if a student in 10th grade has ChatGPT all along, they may never learn those fundamentals of software because they have a tool that does it for them. So how do you get them to that 30 year experience level? That's a challenge. Um, never mind the problems of how do you assure that they weren't using that to do their homework, things like that. But I'm, I'm less focused on those little problems. I'm focused on the bigger problem of how do you decide what to teach the kids when they have these brand new awesome tools? That's a really valid point and a great way of looking at both both sides of it. And I think that it is important as educators that educators really get to know the tools too, because once you've used AI as a writing tool, you can start to recognize whether it was written by AI or written by a human. And there are times when I'm reading content online where I'm guessing whether it was written by AI or whether it was written by a human because everyone's using it. Prior to ChatGPT, Jasper is an excellent AI tool for writing. Uh, you know, even Grammarly, sometimes people don't realize that they're using AI when they're using Grammarly as, as a tool as well. Uh, but by 2025, I believe it's 92% of content that we read online Will have been written with AI. And I think that, uh, like you said, you still have to learn those, those foundational skills, but also learning about the tool and how do you even go in and make uh, something that was written by AI sound more human? Uh, you know, how, how do you uh, use it as the tool where you're learning how to be a better writer versus basically blocking it all together? Yeah, that's so I use Grammarly, right? Every email I write uses Grammarly. Well, I'm getting help from that AI or, or even if it's not truly AI, it's just coding that's helping me. That's fine. I'm getting help from the software. So it's it's an interesting, again, it's, it's a tool. Now, the, the pace these tools are coming on and then how do we adapt our society? I think that's the hardest thing for schools to deal with because schools are not built for change. Um, they're built for, uh, you know, logistics and, you know, what their task is, is prepare the students, but they have to transport, feed, educate, um, deal with mental health issues or, or, learning issues, or I, I moved across the country, now I'm in a new school. Schools have a very tough challenge in front of them just on a, without the tech, new technology changing. And now you throw brand new tools at them that are coming on very quickly. And they don't even, you know, they, they can't even pause and take a breath before they're having to make policies about it and, and figure out how to wrestle with it. So 
it's a it's a huge um, it's a huge and we saw this with the pandemic was very obvious one where you know many people would have said yeah every kid in the country should have a some kind of laptop or tablet or computer in front of them that's the way the world functions and yet it took the pandemic to get there so the reason it was so painful is it forced change in you know within a year every kid had that device in their hands and it was really hard it was really tough for schools to do but they figured it out because it got really pushed at them. Um, now, how do you deal with that pace of change when you look at AI and, you know, uh, the, over the, I think it was last week, New York City Public Schools banned ChatGPT. That's the biggest school district in the country. A lot of other districts look at them as the example because they are the biggest. Um, and they just outright banned it on their networks and their devices. Students still have access to it because they have access to the internet. Uh, the savvy ones will VPN and get access on no matter where they are. Um, so the tool is still there, though uh, the, the school kind of walled it off a little bit. Um, uh, it's it's an interesting one. YouTube used to be walled off. Uh, all your social medias used to be walled off in schools. Now they've dropped those walls because the world runs on it. So if the world runs on ChatGPT give it three, four years, the schools won't block it anymore because the world runs on it. So it's an interesting um, evolution that's going to happen. So the next step for ChatGPT, Microsoft is a, is a huge funder of the company that produced that, um, OpenAI. And uh, Microsoft is now integrating that with Bing. So do you see Google not, you know, relinquish the crown of the, the, the main search engine because Bing just gets that much better? And ChatGPT is the underlying background of it. So, you know, all of a sudden, never mind the students having an issue uh, when a company like Google feels threatened. That's an interesting uh, shift in society, and it could really have some crazy uh, downstream effects. Well, you know, Dave, I did ask ChatGPT if it was going to replace Google as a search engine, and it said no, <laughs> that it, that it's not there yet. So it's it's nice to know that AI can be reflective about its own abilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was also, um, a, a quick tangent, I was looking at, I was listening to a podcast with somebody much smarter than me talking about uh, you know, what does chat GPT really look like and what is it? And they're saying, well, it's kind of the, you know, you could argue it's doing what a child's doing where there doesn't quite know what it's saying necessarily. It's still messing around with words and, and information, but it's listening to the adults, you know, kind of the two-year-old kind of mindset. And they were questioning, like, they're like, okay, well, what's next? Um, if it goes on this human evolution track, well, it's going to start to sort of figure things out and and actually form an identity. And that's what happens with humans. So the, the big question is, are we going down that general intelligence path without really meaning to, because we're giving it all our information, all our language, all our, it can read about all our emotions, just like a child can visually see it. So it's a really interesting um, kind of, we're going into like philosophy and, and, and uh, evolutionary biology and all these different things. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's an even scarier idea where it's it's all of a sudden it's going to gain scary effectiveness just like a child goes from barely being able to speak in two years they can use every word we have the singularity is near as as it uh, <laughs> raised or a while i would say uh but you know it, it is it is interesting and it is easy for folks to uh to make assumptions about ai what it can do now and we know it's going to advance but there are these assumptions that AI can make decisions like a human, that it can interpret human emotions, that AI is going to replace human jobs, which 
to an extent, it will change jobs. And according to McKinsey and Company, I, they say that only 5% of jobs will be replaced by technology. It'll just be that te technology is changing jobs. Which brings me to our next question, because CTE is all about preparing young people for that future workforce and for becoming well-rounded individuals. But what, what should students be learning and how can schools ensure that students are equipped with the skills that they need in today's world and in the future? Oh, this is the, you know, the, the money, right? This is the billion dollar, I guess, or today, <laughs> the trillion dollar question. So, um, so in my, my opinion, right, this is just uh, one person's opinion, but coming from industry, never really having the, the formal schooling that I need in whatever position I'm in, and then now working with all this new age tech and working with schools, um, I have, I have kind of my opinions formed because of that background. And in my opinion, um, I think one of the really key things, and this goes all the way down into elementary school, is exposure. You have to expose kids to this stuff. Um, there are students that, you know, within my, let's say, 20 mile radius, there are students that will never see coding in their K-12 experience. That's a huge problem. They are behind. Mm -hmm. And then there are students that go into three levels of coding. Uh, I'm just picking coding as a random subject. They, they graduate knowing three coding languages. They're going to be a software engineer. That student is way ahead, I would say, of the, the average student. But that student may be deficient in the fact that they focused on coding and they didn't really play with any hardware. And what does our software work on? Well, on hardware. So the the world being this complex um, creates sort of this dilemma between do you push students to go deep in a single subject? Do you keep them very broad and expose them to a lot of stuff? Um, my hope is you offer both and you do a mix. Um, so the um, I think one of the fundamental shifts we may see in schools, and it's really tough to change the K-12 system, but I've seen some governments doing this recently where they don't prescribe, you have to take four math, three science, four English. They make those requirements a little more general. Um, and I really, what that encourages me is instead of taking that AP calculus course that I took when I was in high school, I can go take AP computer science and it counts the same for my graduation requirement. Now, colleges may look at it differently. Employers may look at it differently. That's all fine, but I can still go adapt myself to wherever I want to end up. So what that really encourages me to, to see is that opens the door for K-12 to keep pace with technology. If you don't go super specific on what the kids need to do, then we can fold this new tech in. We can slightly change the names of classes, change what we're teaching in those classes, and it still counts for graduation requirements. So the system still works. Um, in particular, Connecticut just did this I think it's this year, seniors will be the first to graduate with it. They need nine STEM and nine humanities courses to graduate. That's the big top level requirement. Um, now, there's still some sub requirements in there. A lot of schools still say you need three years of math, and that's fine. But what it does, it opens up the door for that adaption. So in two or three more years, I can fold in an AI course, and it's not this general elective. It, it really counts. It can count as a math credit possibly if it has that that kind of that uh, logical thinking inside it. So that's one of the things I think schools can really do. Now, the specific topics, um, I'm less interested in that. I think you have to teach whatever is currently the, being used out in the world, knowing that those may change. So I learned an old language, Visual Basic in high school. Nobody uses that language anymore. 
Um, but I learned the idea of coding. I learned how to learn how to look at code and understand it. And I'm not a coder, but I can still take a macro in Excel and do something with it. I can teach students basic coding. So, you know, kind of block coding at middle school level. I can teach that pretty well, all based on that initial fundamental learning I did in high school, even though the particular language I use is essentially obsolete. So I think the big the big thing is teach the students whatever the wherever the world is. Don't try to predict the future, but teach them to learn, teach them the, the big picture ideas. Um, going super deep, like if I took three years of visual basic in high school, that kind of would have been wasted time a little bit because I don't need that super deep knowledge of it. But if I took another coding course that was on a different language or I took a related course um, that was uh, technology driven, those all would have been useful. So that's kind of my schools need to be a little more adaptive. Um, the students need to see a lot of different tech and then uh, start to learn it but knowing that it will change in the future. And there's a, now there's a third component there, which this is happening, but I think it needs to happen more, which is your core classes, let's call them biology, algebra, they need to be more adaptive. Um, I still don't quite understand why any geometry class is not using 3D modeling in the class. Not a ton of it, you don't have to learn three, to be a, a 3D modeler, but you get a free, you have, you have Tinkercad, you have all these free tools, that are just geometry based. So you teach me a concept, I can see it in 3D. So when we look at something like that, or algebra doesn't use Excel to teach me algebra. Uh, I, the core subjects need to adapt and really need to integrate technology in a way that's not a tech class. It's That's the way you learn this, this skill through the technology as a tool. So that's the one that uh, I pick on. I pick on the math departments particularly. They seem particularly slow to adapt though I have seen them start to pull in coding, which is awesome. So they're, they're kind of having math electives in coding, which I think fits really well with the, the folks in the math departments. But how those other classes haven't adapted yet, I'm, I'm amazed by where you see science classes, they've adapted, they pulled in that tech, they're using a lot of, you know, VR and things like that to show the human body. Um, and then CT, of course, has adapted because they love tech. So um, the core subjects, the traditional departments really need to start pulling this stuff in and getting, getting with, with the times. Okay, Dave, can you talk to us about what your vision is for the future of schools and even looking at what your company does and the problems that your company is designed to solve? Yeah. So what we, what we, so our, our, we'll say what we do day to day is we work with middle and high schools to help them teach new age technology using curriculum, um, technology, and and training to help the schools do that. So kind of that full package. One of, but the, that's kind of today's, uh, we'll say today's mode. What we're building towards is something we've we've uh, named STEM Wave, and this is with our partner STEMI. Um, and we had a sponsoring company. This is our first year of doing it, this, this uh, current school year. We had a sponsoring co AI company, InfoBip. And InfoBip's a global communications leader um you know a, you know one of those uh brand new companies that you may not have heard of but they're you know worth tons of money because they have customers like uh google and and lg and companies like these big companies then have their sort of technology suppliers even though they're tech companies themselves so stem wave what we are what milestone c is envisioning and STEMI is envisioning are you need industry on one side um you need schools on the other side of this 
this uh, endless loop. So if you picture the infinity symbol, schools are on the on the, the left, um, companies are on the right, and then that center point where the where everything crosses is education companies and technology focused education companies like STEMI and Milestone C, and we're kind of gathering up some other good partners. And what we're saying is, hey, industry, you're moving pretty quick on this new tech. And schools, you need help teaching this to the students. And not only do the schools need help doing it, well, the question is why, and we all know this, industry screaming about it. I don't have enough students that know this. I don't have enough uh, adults that know this. Never mind, um, you know, can I retrain the adults? Like, yeah, that's some of that's happening, that's great. But the biggest population coming to the workforce is through the K-12 system. So what we're saying is, hey, we need education companies to understand what industry is doing, pull that information in, piggyback that technology, help classrooms digest it and teach it. Um, and then what comes out of that is savvy students that can go into the workforce. So we're seeing this ecosystem and everybody's dreamed of it. There's, there's different versions of it. A lot of it's already happening at the small scale where you have a local company working with a local high school. We want to take that and build that model up. So it's not just whatever that local company can, can help that school do. Um, there's also some large companies doing it like uh, Verizon Digital Promises trying to do the same thing. Um, that's great as well. But we, what we see is we need those education companies in the middle to glue everything together. Industry speaks a very different language, has very different objectives than K-12. Um, that what they're trying to do, what their daily discussions are, are so different that they really have trouble working with each other. And that's where education companies can come in and understand industry and also understand schools and then kind of hold everything together and make everything um, prosper and grow. And as the technology changes, um, those education companies can absorb that from industry and then bring it over to the schools when it's ready. An example of, of that, you know, when it's ready, because um, I always cringe when stuff is brought in not the right way. So one example is in the past, 3D printers was everybody bought them like 10, 15 years ago, and they all collected dust because the education for the teachers wasn't there. The 3D printers were still a little bit clunky, um, and they, they just weren't ready for the classroom yet. They were ready for a school as like sort of a, you know, an after-school club could play with it, but... To run a classroom around 3D printing was really tough back in the day. They were still pretty expensive and, and it just wasn't there yet. Now you can do that. You can run it, but the education has come up. The curriculum has come up. The tools have gotten better. So it's ready for the classroom. Um, I think VR is in that state right now where, yeah, you can do it. You can bring it into your school. But to, to have 25 students with VR goggles on and, and run a productive classroom for a semester yeah, that's not, in my opinion, not really there yet. Um, specialty schools might be able to do it. Six kids at a time could probably do it um, and, and, and do it for a month each. And then you rotate the kids. Something like that could happen. But in my opinion, VR is not quite ready yet. We're playing with it. Um, uh, a, a private school I was really interested, wanted to do it as an after school club. We help them do that. That's kind of our prototype area to see how it's doing, what it's what it's what's happening there. But then what's going to happen is VR and AR will be the way you are trained as an employee in the future. Microsoft's pushing big on this and a lot of companies are doing this. So exposure for the kids right now is great. That is a tool that in three, four, five years will be in the classroom. So we have to start to prepare for it, start to get ready for it. So that's, um, that's what STEM Wave is all about, is absorbing that tech and helping schools do it. 
in a comprehensive way that fits the classroom, fits those learners, um, where it's not kind of this dump from industry that just blows up what schools are trying to do. You know, I'm glad that you shared that perspective on the VR and AR tool. Well, first of all, I love the idea of creating that ecosystem. It's so important to really have those communication lines and that input and ensure that young people are prepared for the future. Uh, but the VR and AR piece I put in the budget for next year to order uh, a few of the Meta Pro, uh, the new headsets, but then also a class set of headsets that different CT programs can use. And then just yeah. a, a few of the augmented reality headsets through Microsoft, through HoloLens, that uh, they have the one that's more industrial. They have three different versions. So just one of each to be able to get students acclimated to it so that, you know, they're, yeah. they're a little ahead of the curve because they've been exposed to that technology. And I really appreciate your thoughts on that, that exposure piece, that it's something that kids have a, a curiosity about because they have been exposed to those new technologies. You're, you're exactly thinking about it, right? So the, right now it's in the phase of, hey, we'll bring in the classroom sort of like, uh, I always picture it like, um, you know, computers when I was in elementary school, we'd kind of go down there once a month and play with them and, and get acclimated to it but it's not quite ready to base a whole classroom around for a whole semester. So that's, I think, where VR is. Now, it moves quick, so it could be we're sitting here next year and VR is ready, ready to go for the classroom. I don't think it's going to be that quick, um, but the uh, but that's exactly right. So getting it start, starting to get into the schools, starting to get students to see it and play with it, not just as a toy, but seeing it as a learning tool um, is huge. And they're awesome. I mean, I, I play with them at home. They're phenomenal. They're so much fun. They're, they're really, the people still, still see like the wires hanging everywhere. It's just a helmet now. It's really cool. Um, I think the next step is it has to start to understand your hand movement so you don't have controllers anymore. Um, picture like uh, Iron Man kind of Tony Stark stuff where, you know, you, you make a certain hand symbol and it understands what that is. Um, and they're moving there. They're, that's what the, I think the next step is. If you get rid of those hand controllers, and I can just like type like on an imaginary keyboard that, you know, all of a sudden I can enter my passwords that way and then jump right in and, and just wave my hands around. Everything works like that's that. Then you're starting to say, OK, now it's just helmets. And uh, and of course, the schools need better Wi-Fi, need things like that infrastructure updates to handle it. And then now it's a learning tool and it's awesome. That's I have a meeting later today with the uh, our IT because we went ahead and purchased three of the new Meta Pro. So uh, someone already sent me a video clip of, of one of them trying out the Meta Pro for the first time. And I realized at that point, because it was so fun seeing a colleague trying out the new technology for the school, but it's also that idea of, okay, this is where we can run into complications with including it in the classroom. The last thing you want is for a kid to feel self-conscious because they're completely immersed in the technology and someone's videoing them because it is, you know, it's <laughs> we see that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your mouth open, you're, you know, you're looking funny. And then, yeah, you're, you're uh, the social, you know, somebody posts a funny picture trying to be funny, but then it's it can become brutal if the whole school sees it. So yeah, there, there's those kind of teenage problems as well. Well, Dave, this has been an excellent conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? No, I would say um, my, my big thing for teachers is you have to learn with the students. Um, all this tech is new. Uh, I am like, so, you know, everyone looks at me and I, I talk confidently about this stuff because I pay attention to it, but 
I'm still learning it. ChatGPT is a new thing for me. I've been, I knew it was out there, but you know, it, it's a new technology. So we got to go play with it and harness it and learn it. And, and that's the case with all this new tech. So for teachers, uh, learn with your students. It gets, it's a little uncomfortable because you're used to being the expert in the room. Um, and then for schools, you have to invest in your teachers. Um, knowing, uh, you know, the equipment is one thing. Schools usually are pretty good about that. But sending your teachers to training, investing in their time, um, making that part of your culture where every semester you are getting training. Um, that's the only way to keep pace with this tech. And companies know that. They do that. Um, but so our, I think our, our schools need to get better at that, at investing in their folks. Um, and then what will that drive? That will drive savvier students and that will drive everybody into um, into the, those roles that they need. So that's kind of my big picture view is, is really invest in your folks uh, to learn this new tech um, and bring it to students. Because that if we look at it big picture, students, um, if you go, they have their phone and then what does their phone talk to? Their, their phone talks to hundreds of devices a day and they interface with thousands of uh, websites a day if you go one or two sites removed. So, you know, whatever they log into that one site then talks to other sites. And, you know, when you Google something, you're looking at a million sites that runs the world. So the students have to learn this, have to understand it to adapt it for making their lives better versus it being a detriment to them. So that's kind of my, my really what drives me is getting students to learn this stuff. So true. And in a world where learning and relearning, uh, skilling, upskilling is a way of life, it's important that educators are modeling that as well, really becoming those, the facilitator of learning and learning with the students as, as the yeah. world changes. Could not agree more. That's, that's the name of the game. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dave. It's it's exciting to think about these new technologies, and I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with our guests. And for the folks who are listening in, be sure to expand again on the uh, podcast to get more information about Dave and about Milestone C, and be sure to reach out to him and connect with him. And if you have topics that you would like for us to address on future episodes, or if you would like to be a guest on a future episode, please email me at info at ncla-cte.org. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Rachel.